Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 170, We All Want the Same Thing. This week we're discussing season 2, episode 11 of Battlestar Galactica, Resurrection Ship, part 1, and season 3, episode 10 of Angel, Dad. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right. So we're starting off with some BSG. And mm-hmm. uh, we're, we're basically picking up where we left off. Although it's, al- it's always weird with like these to be continued episodes because like you still get like the last time on whatever. I kind of feel like they would just like literally just pick it up. You know what I mean? Like... Sure. In, in, well, but this is in this is the the cave person days before you know binge watching and yeah know, no DVR and all that's that. true. I, think, and, I think there's still and actually there's still that assumption that you might have forgotten what happened and need to be reminded, or maybe you didn't even see the episode I'm, and you need to be told what happened. I, you know? I'm pretty sure there was DVR here, but anyway, like. The other thing that I, it occurred to me even as I was saying it was that like, this is after the big break, right? Like this is the halfway point of the right. season. So it's not like a week passed. It was like several months had passed. So I, I right. guess I could, but yeah, like as far as watching it back to back, you know, in the same week, like having yeah. that whole like previously on Battlestar Galactica, it's like, it kind of takes away some of the tension, I think, but. Eh, you know, yeah, not, yeah, not a huge deal. There's still tension there, and we're picking up where we left off with like Viper versus Viper, you know, um, and Battlestar versus Battlestar. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I kind of want to start off with that because, like, you get some of the um, tension from like the pilots, and and I think particularly you get like Cat as sort of the representative pilot uh yeah although they show other pilots you know viper pilots and kind of they say a few things like she's the one i feel like they focus on a little bit more and also remembering that like just a couple episodes was like when we saw her like hopped up on stims and like you know right (laughs) you know really kind of not doing so hot you know knowing that she sort of already is has sort of frayed edges and you know, maybe isn't, isn't the coolest of the bunch. Um, and now, right. But she's already back on. Yeah. Right. And, and now she's like itching at the trigger, you know, to like, she really, like she's calling multiple times for weapons free and, and, you know, just feeling like the pressure of the moment, um, where you have all this stuff. And, and it's interesting and they do show some of the, um, you know, some of the uh, Pegasus pilots as well. And and they kind of show like, like they're sort of dancing around this line. Not like a physical mm-hmm. line, but like like a, a moral or like a, a psychological line that they're all kind of like dancing around of like, nobody wants to be the one to take the first shot, but nobody, right. they also want to stop you know the other people and and so 
it is, you know, I mean, it is in a sense the the Galactica who's sort of initiating hostilities, so to speak, or whatever. And so, on the one sense, Pegasus is is you know their Viper pilots are just in sort of defense mode, like trying to stop them, but also like they're kind of giving in, like a little by little, like letting them sort mm-hmm. of advance a little bit. But there's also like this weird, like it almost becomes like a dance in a way, like where, where they're kind of doing these little steps to try to get around each other and maneuvering their ships this way and that way. And um, really pretty. And like, I mean, it, it's really quite a choreography that they kind of put together with the ships and, and mm-hmm. the sort of the unique way that, bsg does have their viper ships move because it's not like just straight line it's not like star wars where like everyone's always flying in one direction like they you know cut one way and then cut another and then are going backwards and forwards and you know like all these different things to where you can kind of see like like there is you know a lot more like technical skill and training like sort of involved in this sort of maneuverability in yeah. in a way where like they're both trying to be aggressive but yet not actually hurt anyone you know and not right. not be the one to initiate either to initiate hostilities or or to cause like an accidental you know that right. you know like one you know the 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 uh I almost said planes the ships are like feet away from each other sometimes like inches it looks like away from each Mm -hmm. other and like you know given given that much like you really have to be like on your game to not hit like another ship and potentially start and you know inter battle star war (laughs) you know uh that's on the verge of starting anyway but like just even like a slight bump you know from one to another could be either misconstrued or used as subtext, um, you know, or not subtext, but like as, 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 uh, what's the word I'm trying to think of as an excuse, basically to start something. Um, yeah. You know, anyway, so yeah, like it's really a pretty interesting little, like, like, again, like I use the metaphor of a dance, like it it really feels like that. Mm -hmm. I think, uh, but like a jet, a yeah. jets and a sharks dance, like it's it's you know two rival gangs sort of dancing off with each other, um, right? So yeah, um, I, and yeah. the thing that always strikes me too um, is I think especially when you get Starbucks point of view, yeah, is like from the inside. I think yes, you're right. You appreciate the the skill of what they're doing and the fine line that they're walking and the intricacy of what they're, how they can be aggressive, but not too much. And those games of chicken that, you know, are just like a split fraction away from, you know, hitting each other or whatever. And then you get this objective Starbucks point of view. And I think when you see it from, you know, a couple miles away or whatever it is, the way that they're all just sort of swirling around each other in this kind of chaotic tangle of ships Mm. does look kind of silly, you know? And like, you kind of get Starbucks reaction of like, what the heck is going on? Like I left y'all for five minutes and I come back and you're, 
you're not in any formation. You're running around flying yeah. in this and, jumble that makes no sense. And so it, I think that's a good kind of metaphor because from within the context, it makes perfect sense and they're doing what they need to do. From outside of it, there's this sense of, really, this is what we're doing? We're now in this war against each other and you're going to like waste all this, you know, time and everything and risk all of this harm um you know to have this kind of conflict um, and and there is yeah like and and from a distance it does look like a battle just without like shots gunfire. being fl- yeah. fought yeah. which you know again so it sort of shows that whether it's instinct or training or a little of both like you know, they're still keeping, like, their sights on each other. It's just they're, they haven't mm-hmm. actually pulled the triggers yet. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Like, like from the outs- from an outside perspective of someone who has been off doing something else this whole time. And, and so it makes you kind of wonder, too, and I haven't really thought about this because we're so focused on the two battle stars. But, like, what is the fleet thinking at this point? And like, right. like how right. many, right. how many of those ships are like on the verge of just leaving and being like, right. if these two, you know, battle stars are going to start duking it out, we have no recourse, right. really. Um, right. Right. Yeah. Right. And does it something that seems justifiable from the inside looks like chaotic insanity from the outside? Sure. Um, you know, which I think kind of Lee hints at later when um, they ask him like. I thought we were supposed to be fighting the Cylons and I thought Cylons were the enemy. And he says, well, apparently it's us. And the kind of, even he, even he who is in, in that fight and fighting for his side acknowledges the, the, the irony that we're now going to waste time, energy and weapons on each other when really like, and you can kind of both be part of it and also acknowledge the the stupidity of yeah. it from yeah. you know a more a more objective point of view. Although in that particular battle too, Lee is also somewhat removed. And it's interesting that sure. that it ends up being the two people who aren't in the thick of it as the ones who see because I, I think you could count all the people on each battle star as being in the thick of it too like the people in the sure, cic yeah. the cics right. are just as much sort of in the thick of it as the pilots themselves yeah. are and you have like ty saying like main batteries like targeting you know the pegasus and right. you know obviously adama is just kind of standing there like in his command form of like mm-hmm. observing and you know you get the calls between him and kane and stuff and sort of the verbal back and forth Mm -hmm. that sort of mimics the flying of the you know physical back and forth between the ships and stuff but but you have like lee and starbuck who are you know lee's in the raptor about to go on this mission starbuck's just coming back from a mission she was never actually sent on (laughs) well by yeah yeah, i mean she was sent by lee but you know unofficially um and so it takes those people on the outside to sort of be the ones to recognize mm-hmm. not only what's going on but how to resolve it and sort of the two of them working together lee sort of giving starbuck the idea of hey why don't you be a target and everyone will focus on you and starbuck being crazy enough to do it 
and then right. you know calling out and explaining like hey wait a minute we're all friends let's let's just be friendly um right and and putting a stop to the immediate craziness of the situation not not mm-hmm. the entire craziness of the situation but at least m- making people pause long enough to see the ridiculousness right. of the situation that they're all in well you know what it reminds me of is whenever um uh Corey Olson talks about the you catastrophe of the Hobbit when it's the five armies rushing into each other. And then suddenly it's like, Oh, there's goblins on the Hill. And like, that's the you catastrophe is that the goblins show up and suddenly all like the, the two armies, I guess, stop running at each other and turn and face the goblins together. Um, That's kind of what this reminds me of is like, we're just at that, moment where we're at each other's throats and then you catastrophe it's starbuck and her you know blackbird turn up to be the common enemy to mm-hmm. you know temporarily sort of distract everybody enough to to focus on you know the common enemy i guess um yeah and reminds me of reminds them of the real common enemy like by bringing in the photos she reorients kane and adama back towards the Cylon fleet and the resurrection yeah. ship and everything. This, uh, you know, this always makes me wonder to how, like, how exactly do like the communications on colonial ships or between colonial ships work? Because like, you get the sense that like, like you have Adama talking to his pilots and you have Kane talking to mm-hmm. her pilots and stuff, but like, they're all colonial fleet. So like, why couldn't they hear each other like talking and, you know, that sort of thing. Or like, even like you have Lee in a Pegasus Raptor typing out messages to Starbuck in a Cobjob Blackbird built on the Galactica. So presumably would be compatible with whatever communication systems the Galactica has. And like, if they're able to talk to each other, then everyone should be able to, because like, they're like the two most different ships in the fleet, you know? So like, it's just kind of that weird thing to me of like, I mean, maybe there's just different channels or they're somehow able to like, you know, Galactica can like secure its communications with just its ships and like exclude everyone else. But I don't know. It just always seems weird to me. Like, like if they're all part of the colonial fleet and especially since like, remember like the Galactica just had like, a big software upgrade given to it by the Pegasus. So like, why don't they all like, aren't they all on like the same channel and this and that? I I don't know. Like, it just seems kind of weird to me that, that, that even happens, but it does make for good sort of tension and in the story. So sure. Uh, Suffice to say, I guess that they have some way of doing it. I just don't know what that way is. Right. Right. Um, so yeah, but ultimately they they pull back. Kane at least temporarily uh you know, puts a hold on the execution of Hilo and Tyrrell and agrees to meet Adama in Colonial One, but only after mm-hmm. seeing the pictures that Starbuck took. Mm-hmm of this ship, you know, the, the close-up pictures of this ship and right. um, sort of recognizes that there's a bigger picture going on here. Mm-hmm. Not, 
I didn't even mean that as like a pun, but like there, there's something bigger going on here based on, yeah. you know, what Starbuck did. Um, so Well, and that it, 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 sorry to address it, it requires the cooperation of, of Starbuck and Adama and, and the BSG and everything like, yeah, you know, I'm not, um, I'm not, well, yeah, and I don't know how much of that she realizes in the moment. Like, she she certainly, I mean, she sees the pictures and sort of must realize, right? Or does does Fisk say to her that it came from the Blackbird or something, right? Like, when she first sees I think they know, the picture, yeah, they say, like, oh, these are from the Blackbird, yeah. yeah. And I'm not... Right, so they don't know what the ship is, but they know it's something right, important. I, right, at, at least important enough to stop what's going on mm-hmm. in the immediate moment. Mm-hmm. like. Yeah. So she at least agrees to meet on neutral ground, Colonial One. How mm-hmm. neutral that is might right. be, right. you know, questionable. But, right. uh, and and I think with good reason when we find out later yes. of what Rosalind says. But anyway, um, so they have this meeting on Colonial One. And, You know, it's interesting to me that we have, like, we have this situation of Kane, you know, so Rosalind, Rosalind actually is like, this is her school teacher moment, right? This is like, okay, we've got two students fighting and we need to put a stop to it. And how do we do that? And, um... Now she does right, using her kind of grown up voice right, and everything. Right. Yeah. And like Kane's obviously having none of it. And it, it, like, she's even like, is this what you two have been doing? Like, you know, arguing the finer points of colonial law and blah, blah, blah. And Adama's sort of sitting sulkily looking away like the whole time. Like <laughs> that's like my favorite part is yeah. the way that he just sort of stares at the corner, like sulking, except for when she says like, the one, like, you know, because you know, like you said, you know Rosalind's bias. You know she's on Adama's side, but she's trying to stay neutral. She makes one concession to Kane, which is probably you would win in a fight in Adama. <laughs> I wouldn't be so sure <laughs> right. about that. Like, that's his one right. contribution and, to the whole thing. And what's even better <laughs> is the look that Rosalind gives him of, like, come on, dude. Like, now really? is not the time yeah. to talk. Like, yeah, let's, yeah. come on. And Thanks. And, Thanks, Bill. And so, Thanks for your help. <laughs> yeah so it is a it is a pretty funny scene uh so you have you know kane sort of in her uh, you know uh uh what's the word i'm looking for the the, sort of her her high horse answer you know Mm -hmm. about what's going on and it's like well i'm you know superior officer and it's a military blah 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 and you know, I can, I have the authority to do all this. And, and, uh, you know, Rosalind, Rosalind responds like, well, is that really the spirit of the law of like, mm-hmm. like is executing people, like killing more people? Is that really the right answer here? And right. Kane gets upset because like, apparently she clearly thinks that that is the case. And we've already heard the stories about, her mm-hmm. executing her former XO who was apparently mm-hmm. very loyal and a long time friend. <laughs> so like, mm-hmm. yeah, she's not going to give 
two craps about like a deck chief right. random and, you yeah know, some raptor yeah. pilot um what what always what i find interesting in this scene though is what doesn't come up which mm-hmm. i would expect either adama or roslin to point out but and may i don't know if you have thoughts and i don't know that i have fully mm-hmm. formed thoughts on it is is the fact of like hey like maybe you do have authority and maybe like killing someone like triggers that authority but what about raping someone <laughs> like like mm-hmm. like where where does that fall under your you know judge jury and executioner mode of thing right. like you're just kind sure. of letting this interrogator do all these things and like my suspicion is that if that came up it would be like yeah but she's a cylon and so like right. she's not a real person and whatever and you can probably get real metaphorical about that but you know right i don't i don't know i i mean again like i don't know that i have fully formed thoughts but i always find it interesting that 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 doesn't come up like that there's like kane kane's very concerned about like order and and Mm -hmm. you know making sure that people get punished for like the crimes that they commit but there's nothing even said about sort of the barbaric interrogation quote Mm -hmm. unquote tactics that you know her her own person employed and and that actually in fact there is quite a bit of leeway for killing someone and quite a bit of precedent you know for killing someone Mm. when they're actively attacking another person yeah in defense of another right Right. so right you know yes you can you can sort of complain about arguing the finer points of colonial law but i feel like this is kind of an important finer point of colonial law Mm -hmm. and and again like i mean not that not that we would necessarily expect kane to think about it but i think that's sort of what whether whether in that particular moment or not i think throughout this episode especially when you see like coddle you know later examining or Mm -hmm. you know giving the results of the exam of sharon and then also with baltar and prisoner six uh Mm -hmm. you know sort of the the two the two uh uh token abused cylons in this episode Mm -hmm. you know of of having you know of having those thoughts around like okay what what is sort of legitimate and what's not and and as far as like military protocol goes like and there's like stuff about torture and all that in there too but like yeah it always it you know uh kane's sort of high horse here of you know it's up to me to decide kind of kind of falls flat on its face to mix some metaphors there um well i suppose horses can fall flat on their face um <laughs> or you can fall off a horse. yeah maybe kane falls off her horse <laughs> flat on her face when you realize like the thing the thing that she's the person that she's you know supposedly avenging by killing hilo and tyrell is a barbaric, you know, mm-hmm. jerk face. Um, sure. For lack of a better, right. you know, term. To use a technical yeah. term, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what thoughts you may or may not have about that. But that that 
like the fact that neither Ros like and I don't know how much Roslyn even knows about this situation, but like Adama should right. by this point. Like he should know at right. least what they were hauled in for and you know, sort of what was going on. Um Right. Right. So I don't know. Yeah, that's interesting to me because it makes me realize something I don't think had occurred to me, which is like it never it doesn't seem up for debate whether or not Hilo and Tyrrell are actually guilty of anything. It seems as though what we're debating is what is Kane's authority right. to punish and respond to the, what they did. But like, yeah, like what you're saying is the real question is, have they even done anything wrong? Which I think like there's argument that they haven't, you know? Um, right. So, right. It's not but, about, and I think, it's not about what, like the action that they did, as far as killing, right. uh, whatever the prick guy was, what was his name? Thorn. Thorn, right? Thorn. <laughs> I just remembered yeah. that he was that he was a prick. Right. <laughs> uh, Good memory. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, so the fact that they like they're, that's they're funny. and and she even says that they admit it that they killed him, right. and that that that's not yeah like you're right like that's not even in dispute but but simply killing someone isn't the same as like murder like there's justifiable homicide and there's you know and one again one of those things is in defense of another yeah or in defense of somebody yeah and so and and the thing that's funny not funny haha but like ironic i guess is if you if you start to go down that road then then that would force kane to actually start debating the finer points of law because well, right. then you have exactly. to establish is the Cylon a person? But they're guilty in the first place, is, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, even if they're not a person, are they a sentient being who could, yeah. you know, you know, like, like you still wouldn't abuse an animal even though they're not a person, you know, like in that way or that kind of thing. You know what I mean? So like the, right. there's like actually quite a lot of finer points of law that you would probably have to actually consider, but she doesn't, she just takes a sort of broad swing at things and, and feels that because she has the authority that she also has the right, which are not necessarily the same things. Um, Well, and she makes it sound like debating the fine points of law is a bad thing, you know, which uh, I don't see why we have to agree with her. You know, like, I think right. that's her problem is she couldn't care less about the fine points of law. Like, she cares about her own law, like, in the sense of if you if you displease me or disobey me, I have authority to, you know, smack well, you down. But I don't, you know, but, like, I, I think you're right. Like, she doesn't really want to debate about their constitution and what what kind of what is she responsible to be beholden to like okay everybody has to obey her law but what laws does she have to obey and that's what's really you know being ignored i think um and yeah i think i mean the real the real thing like you said and i think we mentioned last time is they don't talk about it like right because they don't think of Sharon is human so there's really no and I think there's that I think definitely Kane believes that 
certainly she does. Um, I think with Adama and Rosalind, you see a softening of that, but there's still that kind of like unconscious bias there of mm. it probably doesn't occur to them to argue the point, whether right. or not they officially consider it or not, no matter where they would come down on it, it isn't yet in their minds to disagree with that implied idea. Yeah. Um, they just sort of take it as a given. Um, and it's not really until later when you have Adama like in the exam room yeah. when he very specifically like takes responsibility and apologizes to Sharon that you see some more of that acknowledging of humanity in the other yeah. and not just a dehumanization of her. Right. Yeah. And that's interesting. So we actually, I, I just realized as we were talking here, even like we didn't even put in the whole scene with Doc Cottle and Sharon oh, there that's right. in, yeah, yeah. in our notes, but like, yeah, I feel like it's a good place to talk about it because I, I think you're right. Like there is that it it's a far cry, even from Adama's own reaction of, of mm -hmm. first seeing Sharon again after like when right. she comes with Hilo and like they meet up right. on um Cobalt, right? Um right. and yeah, like like I feel like at this point like there's there's still the like there's obviously the intellectual knowledge of like Sharon as a Cylon. But mm -hmm. but you're starting to move beyond that to see one she's pregnant so like mm -hmm. there's got to be something going on there mm -hmm. like more than just cylonness whatever that mm -hmm. is cylonicity i don't know um but also you have like doc coddle who's like mr scientist medicine man right like mm -hmm. who's saying you know to adama like this is unconscionable like this the the things the things that went on are not are like he you know talk about someone like he's kind of the anti-cane right like this is mm -hmm. this is black and white but in the other direction you know mm -hmm. uh this is the yin to cane jang or whatever like you want to call it like yeah. he he's like for him there's no question that like we don't get it explicitly but just based on his comment there uh that he clearly sees Sharon and, you know, the the baby or whatever, you know, the fetus or whatever, like, as living human beings, or at least living beings, maybe not human, but like, at least as like mm -hmm. living sentient beings who are, mm -hmm. you know, worthy of the same level of respect as humans and the, the same level of humane treatment. Yeah. Um, as he's sitting there smoking. Um, <laughs> uh but yeah so i mean i think you're right like you do get a softening of of adama's attitude um i don't i mean we don't really have rosin interacting with sharon there but like no but i think we've seen a little bit of that in previous episodes yeah. where she starts to kind of you know her appeals to find common ground with her and like you're starting to get that idea, you know? Um, and I think we've even seen with Rosalind, like a shift in pronouns from like it to she, right? Like sure. That kind yeah. of thing. Um, at least, at least a couple of times. I don't, I can't remember exactly yeah. precisely where, but 
Um, well, and we definitely do with Adama in this episode because it wasn't the last one, but it was in um, when she helps them in CIC and he says, uh, take this thing back to its cell. And now doesn't he say here, like, once she's done, take her back and make sure she's okay. Right, right, and, right. You know, now it's like still back to your cell, but, but it's now it's she rather than it. Sure. So, yeah. Um, you know, which I don't mean to imply that there's any upside to being, you know, raped, but there is a sense in which Adama maybe sees her differently because of mm. what's happened to her. Sure. Like, in some ways that might humanize her, you know, to in his eyes in a way that she hadn't been before. And it's a, it's obviously a process that had started. It's not like, you know, it was there yesterday and gone today or anything. Um, right. It's an evolving thing, but um, yeah, that's certainly part of it. Um, so one of the, one of the things that, um, sort of came up as we were talking through early, you know, before the episode is how, you know, about just this whole idea of like legitimate versus, oh, sorry. Were you Wait guys? a minute though. Before we do that, we need to talk about Rosalind's. Oh yeah, of course. Right. Rosalind's so the lead, decision. the lead in. Right. So after Kane leaves and Rosalind and Adama are sitting there, you have, yeah. Rosalind's resolution of Cain must die. Like and and right. that Adama must be the one to do it. Or, you know, at least the one right. to order it. Um so there's a couple things there. Like one, I found it I still kind of find it somewhat surprising. Um mm -hmm. because, you know, this is this is Rosalind who not so long ago herself had been uh not killed but you know taken over you know and put in a cell and was escaped and was running for her life anyway like yeah and and not just from anyone but from adama and from and, adama and, right, and Ty. Right. but like right you know so you have this this sense of like okay like you were kind of at the the other end of the barrel at you know one point here not too long ago and now she's basically ordering kane's death in that mm -hmm. kind of in the same way that kane's ordering hilo and tyro's deaths mm -hmm. um so this of course brings up the question and and adama is loath at first uh mm -hmm. you know to do that um Still seeming to cling to this, which is weird. Like, he was just ready, like, ten minutes ago to, like, go to the mat, as as Lee sort of says, right? Like, uh, mm -hmm. for his people, and, like, damned if he and everyone else under him gets killed. Like, mm -hmm. that seems to be about the way that they're that they're going to go with it. But, like, now... Now he's reluctant to do that. And maybe it's just like cooler and, and that's heads. The thing, like... though, that... Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, sorry. I interrupted you. You can finish. No, I was just going to say, like, maybe that's just part of the process of like cooling down and like sort of thinking through, 
the implications of your actions, which they talk about, you know, like, okay, yes, you could beat up on each other and, you know, mm-hmm. one might win over the other, but it's going to, you know, be a war of attrition and you might not end up being able to move afterwards anyway. And, you know, what's the point of all that? Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, like Adama still seems sort of like surprised and, and, uh, resistant to the idea that like mm-hmm. Kane needs to die. Um, and it seems to be based on the whole military rank thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but in thinking about it and talking a little bit about it before we started our podcast, I wondered like, how is this different than like the crashdown situation? And then you brought up mm-hmm. like, Oh yeah, well what about all of the other like mutiny <laughs> situations where we have, mm-hmm. you know, Lee putting his gun against Ty's head or you have, um, even like the coup, like against Roslyn that we were talking about, or, um, you know, just kind of all of these different sort of mutinies that kind of have already gone on. And now, mm-hmm. and now we have Adama with my so uh, cleverly named the Kane mutiny um, of, mm-hmm. of Adama, not even ignoring what he, you know, is telling Starbuck at the end of the episode, but even at the beginning of the episode where you have him going up against Kane and basically saying you're out of order and give me my men back and willing, mm-hmm. willing to put, you know, bullets behind his words. And, right. you know, so all of these different things like that we've already sort of tracked throughout, um, you know, the, the, the show so far. Um, and then like less maybe legitimate, revolutions like you even have like Zarek and his ship Mm. um Mm -hmm. you know and and like i don't i don't think we think of ty's declaration of martial law as legitimate you know either Mm -hmm. and um but then like the uprisings uh on what what was the ship there where um where like oh oh i don't know like where they threw the coffee yeah and like four people were killed and whatever and and right well, and you have the internal resistance against Ty, where you have D and whatever plotting to like they didn't attack him or overthrow him, but they they plotted against him and right. undermined him and allowed Rosalind to escape and everything. Right. So so yeah. So there's definitely this idea that that there is some level of legitimacy behind sort of mutiny and re- revolution, like. And, 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 you know, so going back to Crashdown, which I think is probably the closest, like, parallel, because you have, like, Tyrrell trying to, like, talk sense mm-hmm. and, like, pushing it, pushing it, pushing it, and ultimately drawing his gun on him, but isn't the one mm-hmm. who ends up killing him. It's, mm-hmm. it's again, it's, it's the civilian leader. It's Baltar, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. who ends up killing Crashdown. And so, right. so I feel like, all the little parallels there where you have like Adama here trying to be initially the rational one and talk to Kane and talk, talk, talk until finally he's got to, you know, metaphorically put a gun to her head by sending out like the vipers and stuff. But then ultimately you have Roslyn, the civilian leader being the one to say she has to die. Yeah. Even though like, I mean, she's not the one actually holding the gun. It's like, it is kind of sure. her order. So. Sure. Um, 
Yeah, no, that's a good point. I don't think that had ever occurred to me before. And you also have the element of them specifically like endangering the people around them, whether right. it's, you know, Kane is going to execute crew members or endangering the civilian fleet or whatever. And you had the fact that like, not only was Crashdown's plan going to get them all killed probably, but you literally have him holding a gun to Callie to force her to go out. So there's a sense, a sense of not just uh, the overthrowing and the mutiny, but, but for Baltar and Roslyn, a sense of I'm doing this to save everybody else because she's going to get them killed. Yeah. Um, well, and right. And so then is that, like even in the case of Tyrrell and Hilo, that's in a way a mutiny as well. Although uh, Lieutenant Thorne, not Lieutenant Prick, uh, was a lieutenant, right? So mm -hmm. Hilo, I guess they were on the same level, right? But I guess I don't I don't know how that works. Like if right, there are different ranks yeah, within. Yeah, I don't know. Well, and like again, like as we've talked about, how like Hilo was sort of like the the you know he's the not the actual pilot of the Raptor, right? He's right. like the right. East whatever. What what's the ECO? ECO, or yeah, like, like whatever that. it is. And like like so, there's like even within the ranks, there's sort of a pecking order. So right. you know, right. I guess maybe that still may have been the case. And and since Thorn had like authority directly from Kane, like maybe his authority would outrank. So like, anyway, so that's a form of mutiny as well. And I think mm -hmm. like, like you were saying, like it's, it's the endangering others, putting other people in danger mm -hmm. where just like Hilo and Tyrrell and just like, um, well, just like Tyrrell and Crashdown and, you know, uh, uh, Baltar in that situation, you know, all of, like all of these things where we see like the legitimate mutinies mm -hmm. taking place it really is about protecting others and stopping mm -hmm. you know potent stopping atrocities or at least potential atrocities from happening whereas right. the ones that don't seem legitimate are the ones that are putting more people in danger or restricting mm. their freedom or you know like like impinging right. on you know those sort of uh legitimate concerns so right which is, it's interesting for a couple of reasons. Also to address your your point about Adama's like reluctance and everything. Like it kind of also reminds me how for all that they're, we're saying their intentions were noble of, of they killed Crashdown because to save Callie and to save all of them from like a stupid suicidal order. Um, they still had that, they had enough of that military pecking order or military code or whatever to still feel kind of ashamed of it afterwards. Like right. it was still a thing that had to be hid, you know, even though it was Baltar who did it. And even though he did it for legitimate reasons, they all kind of act like this was this shameful thing that was done. And I feel like that's behind Adama's thing, not just that Kane's above him, but I feel like, despite the fact that he's literally endangering more people by sending out the vipers and targeting the batteries and everything. Like in some ways you could say that endangers way more lives than sure. just putting a gun to her head. Sure. 
Um, like it's the utilitarian. It's better utilitarianism to just shoot her in the head. But like, but it's also less people killed. The the people he's endangering aren't his people, right? Like so sure. so like he's trying to get back his people, right? By you know stopping. But uh, there's also a sense in which all of all of the people on the Pegasus are also like because they're listening to Kane. There, I'm doing a little bit of calisthenics or, or, or you know, stre- mm-hmm. stretching, you know, maybe the argument a little bit here. But, like, all of the people on the Pegasus are the ones sort of putting Hilo and Tyrrell to death, right? Like, cause, sure. because they're sure. following Kane, who is the one ordering right. that. So, like, like, there is that sense of, like, like, pointing at them is still in the same way pointing at Kane, even though I, I, I do see right. your point of like, like you're endangering way more lives than just like one person or, or like the well, one. And I think it endangers his own lives too, because his Viper pilots are the ones out there. Sure. In, in battle. Like sure. Chances are at least a couple of them would get oh, taken yeah, down. Yeah. The Galactica could get damaged. Hilo and Tyrrell could get caught in the crossfire. Like there's that, but Beyond all the loss of life, I don't know that that matters to Adama so much as this, like, code of honor thing. Like, I think it's the difference between, like, I think really what makes him pause is the difference between uh, facing somebody for a duel and stabbing someone in the back. You know, like, it's one thing to stand up to Kane and fight her honorably for what I believe in and for my men. And I don't care if we all die because it's right. And, but that isn't the same at like, okay, now we're talking about assassination, you know, sneaking up, being underhanded. And on the one hand, yes, you're saving many more lives by doing that. But on the other hand, is that the right thing in the same way as, challenging and facing her head on would be and i think for adama i think that's the real difference between the two sure um whereas i think Rosalind's probably more likely to look at the the body count and be Mm. swayed by what is going to affect the least amount of people and get and get it done with the least amount of bloodshed you know um so I think that's why she kind of goes to this idea that he finds distasteful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we'll have to maybe keep an eye on, on more of these mutinies as they, uh, as they occur. I have a feeling it yeah. won't be too long before we have more to look at. Well, so you brought it up like, oh, we should compare this to Crashdown. And I was like, we definitely should make that like a a running theme because like, I I know it's not the last time it's going to come up. So we might as well pay attention to it now. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, there's like some other stuff we need to talk about here. And I, w- I wasn't really quite sure what order to take it in. So we can just kind of. Mm-hmm. talk through because like we haven't talked really much about baltar and prisoner mm-hmm. six here and i don't i don't know like that there's a ton to talk through but like 
one we get like the lashing out like not i guess it's like sort of like ptsd like prisoner Mm -hmm. six sort of choking and you know bringing valtar to bear but like ultimately you know he gets her to like change into new clothes and like is able to actually get her talking and whatever and learns about this ship that Starbuck took all these pictures of and, and comes mm-hmm. to find out that this is the resurrection ship, right? Like this is, this is the ship where uh, good Cylons go when they die. Um, right. And when, uh, when they do, they're, they're resurrected in this new body and um, mm-hmm. all of that. Uh Last episode, Baltar talked about how, like, you know, complex the Cylon brain is and, like, how it can basically be traumatized in the same way as a human brain and all this. And the effect of this is that Prisoner 6 wants to die Mm -hmm. without being resurrected, which is interesting. So, like, this goes back, I mean, even to, like, ideas that we've been talking about all through Buffy and and Doctor Who and stuff too, of like Mm -hmm. your memory, as long as you have your memory, you're still sort of who you are, right? Like Mm -hmm. like the person is the memories. It's not just necessarily the physiology and all of that. Um, And so that seems to be sort of the assumption that Prisoner 6 is working under is that if she's resurrected, she's still going to remember the abuse and still is going to want to die basically and so as long as this resurrection ship is around she can't feel sort of the 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 sort of blissful nietzschean you know uh existential nothingness at the end of life um which she wants to apparently feel um and so sort of urges baltar to destroy it which you know, again, like this is, so this is validation of Baltar's approach of, you know, being the opposite uh, of of Lieutenant Thorne and his interrogation techniques, right? Mm-hmm. Like within, you know, a few hours of like feeding her and giving her new clothes, like he's already yeah. learned like what her deepest desire is and... You know, right. oh, also, by the way, reveals what this mystery ship does and, you know, figures out, you know, that it's like the most important ship of like all. Right. <laughs> um, right. Right. But it's also his, uh, you know, I think his his monologue in the last one where he kind of reveals his deepest secrets and feelings as well right. and, and kind of kind of says I'm really on your side, you know, and I'm kind of, and he says like, I'm here to help you. And I, I love you in the sense that I don't know you, but I love, you know, the person who I know who looks just like you and I'm here, you know, so there's that kind of, he shares something of himself and then she kind of reciprocates. But then it's sort of like the irony being he's here to help her. And what does she ask? She asks she wants, for him right. to, to kill her, like 
permanently. So right. not exactly what he was expecting. Yeah. But that's what she wants, right. you know, um, I, that's the help that she, that she needs, which also happens to align with what the humans want as well. So again, like Sharon, you've got this Cylon who isn't working with Cylon interests, you know, who's giving information that is damaging to, you know, uh, her and people, you sure. know, for different reasons, but still. The, um, I mean, the other sort of ironies are that, like, of course, Baltar advocates for this sort of, you know, well, okay, a few things. So one, yeah, you're right. Like, he totally reveals like his own like inner secret or whatever and that's part of what helps bring her out of her shell but also like that's just in a sense that's just like the ultimate way to like connect with someone on a human level right is to you know sure. be true about who you are and hope hope yeah. that they'll be true about who they are and that's kind of like that's sort of like the epitome of like treating someone as, as a human is to actually reveal mm -hmm. something about yourself. Um, the other sort of irony of it though, is that had he done that at first, it wouldn't have worked. The, mm. the, you know, again, like you said with Sharon, like there is no upside to abuse, but, this wouldn't have worked had she not been abused. Like mm. she would have had no reason to want to die and right. to reveal that this is a resurrection ship. It's because of the abuse and the memories right. of the abuse and, and the feeling that there's no hope of living and that she doesn't even want to live that mm -hmm. makes her want to reveal what the resurrection ship is and therefore and then you know die after it's destroyed so right right so there's again you know that's irony not a haha -ha irony certainly it's it's a mm -hmm. really tragic irony but you know would would his approach does work but it only works because the other approach was taken first and right and so yeah there's there's i don't know like that we don't get that explicitly but you know I don't know how much Baltar realizes any of that, but I think it's worth mm -hmm. worth thinking about um, a little bit. So, yeah. Um, one thing I do want to mention: I don't know that we ever hear her name. That's six. I can't remember. I have a feeling that maybe we don't, but they did have a name for her, at least like in the scripts and everything. Um, and uh, I want to mention it because it's not. It's Gina. It's not a very interesting name, except that it was a joke based on um, fans of the original series used to use the term Gino to to refer to the new series as like a slander nickname because it was Galactica in name only. Um, uh. So they kind of appropriated that gotcha. and gave it to Gina. Um, so, right. you know, if we want to use the name, I that is kind of her official you know, individual name, um, to distinguish her from the other number sixes and everything. Um, but I feel like that was worth sort of pointing out. Interesting. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I'm fine with prisoner six too, or, or whatever, like I'm, we can. Yeah. And I really, I honestly don't remember for sure whether they ever use it like in dialogue um, or not. I don't think we've heard it yet. At least I don't 
I, not yet. Yeah, maybe later on. I I can't remember, but um, yeah, we'll have to sort of keep an eye out for it. Um, there are a lot of sixes, so sometimes it's useful to have sure names for them <laughs> to keep them straight. Sure. Um. Uh. So one of the other aspects. Uh, well, and was there anything else about Baltar and and Gina? No, I think we can. We can move on because Baltar takes his his info and passes it on to Kane. Sure, um, sure. Yeah. Um, one of the other sort of things that we hear about, and which sort of has later implications in the episode, is uh, we get more like Kane backstory. So um, one, we get Adama learning about Laird being having been a civilian and taken off the ship of the Scylla. And, mm -hmm. you know, we already knew some of that. Um, but what we get that's new is we get another story from Fisk. And this one, this time it's not covered up by a sort of fake attempt at, right. oh, you know, I was kidding. pretending yeah. it was yeah. a joke. Um, where right. we hear that, you know, not only did they raid, um, you know, the civilian ships. So apparently Pegasus had a civilian fleet just like Galactica has a civilian fleet and mm -hmm. they basically stripped off whatever they needed or thought they might someday possibly need from those ships uh including individual people and mm -hmm. um so now now this this like when you hear about this you're thinking of like Callie being so happy when like carts of supplies come over mm. and like suddenly like now you're like oh wait a yeah. minute those supplies right. may have come from the Scylla or from some other ship that we're not told that like the ships themselves were necessarily destroyed we do hear about certain families who were killed you know by mm -hmm. uh uh Kane or at least at her order um right well, and we do hear that they took their FTL drives, right. but so that's they the can't thing is, even, is they took can't even travel. They marooned they, them. Basically. They took the FTL drives yeah. and left them who knows where, left right. left the ships right. who knows where, and yeah, basically, I mean, right. you know, floating. Through you know, space, possibly yeah. they still are, you know, able to sort of function together. Like like maybe there's like a Cloud Nine type ship, and maybe there's like a factory ship, and whatever they just mm -hmm. can't do ftl so maybe maybe they're still living like as a little colony of ships somewhere they just can't move you know beyond there but maybe could travel back and forth you know and right. still have some sort of trade and sustenance that way but 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 you but get I the sense like the... that like that couldn't yeah. happen very long like that right. that right. by stripping them down and taking parts and and taking some of the most productive according to Kane, you know members of their society that they've really those people have a limited lifespan at that point and right. and possibly right. i mean and who knows maybe the cylons came in and killed them all immediately anyway right. like we don't we don't actually know what happens to them um but yeah right and i get this sense too that like if they're going all that way there's no sense in showing any restraint at all so like if they had any food, it got taken. If they had, like, like I don't sure, imagine Kane leaving anything useful behind, really. Um, like, if you're going to, 
the tone I get is that they took everything that they could possibly use and left these people in, you know, a very dire, you know, situation. Um, I mean, I don't know that for sure. That's just the, that's the sense that I get from the way that Fisk tells the story Um, is that these people were left with basically no hope for survival. Um, Mm. So yeah, more fuel to the, Kane is a menace who has to be stopped. Right. Sort of. Right. Which is, it's Adama going around and gathering all the information he can. Okay, Callie, tell me about what you've heard. And then right. he sends Ty oh, the in. Oh, the get... That's like my favorite right, line. Right. Like, who says yeah, that? Yeah, scuttlebutt. <laughs> and then um, Ty, go in there and booze Fisk up and get him to, like, tell more, you know, uh, you know, secret stories and everything. Um, um, so kind of justifying to himself this decision that he is working up to, to making, you know, yeah. Rosalind wants him to do this thing, but he wants to have as much cause behind it as, as he possibly can. Yeah. Um, they, I mean, it's not like real long or anything, but that, that scene of him, like, pondering deeply at his desk it always like seems like, like maybe just like a beat or two like two lives it's kind mm-hmm. of like okay all right we get it he's he's sure. weighing all of the heavy things that are on his yeah. mind um yeah. but yeah no i mean it's definitely these stories that he's hearing and, and the stuff from Ty and whatnot um and and even you know back to what Roslyn sort of urges him to do uh, that he has to sort of put through the motions. Sort of while all this is going on, too, you have Starbuck, uh, who now, like, like her triumphant return. This is um, second second time that she's returned triumphant, like, after going off on a, a unapproved mission, right? Like Against orders, almost right. like she's committing yeah. mutiny. Yeah, like she's, done, <laughs> like she's done this before as well. And... Um, right. Well, and almost like we're not having this debate about killing each other over disobeying orders. Starbuck comes back and gets promoted. Right. <laughs> like that's the, another irony right. is again, laws don't matter when Kane approves of what you've done. Right, and that's know? that's the thing is like that's so irritating is that it's not like like Kane isn't like forget finer points of law. Kane doesn't care right. about law at all. Exactly. Like it, it yeah. just it's just whatever she hopes for and and it's funny because the law is what she says it is in the moment she she sort of gives lip service to it because she's like well i couldn't i couldn't you know like punish lee without like you know i couldn't put lee in the brig without like also punishing you and it's like well why not like you just seem to make it up as you go anyway so like right like you would lose face somehow over that but not like Killing people right. who were raping someone, like, like, right, or lose face in front of who? Your crew, who are all scared stiff that you're going right. to kill them at, on on a whim. Like, they don't have any respect for you anyway. Yeah. But I think that's her delusion: is that their fear of her is respectful. Sure. When it's really just fear, you know, it's like I, I doubt any of them really respect or like her much. It's just well. It, it, her rule is arbitrary and swift, so you better just do what you're told. Yeah. Um, but that's not real. That's not real law and order. 
No. That's a dictatorship, you know? Right, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, but it's funny to me how well this jives and works out with Starbuck. Like there's a kind of a similarity, you know, like can, Starbuck can be very concerned with the rules when it suits her and very, you know, flippant when it suits sure. her. And, you know, when, when Kane says like, Oh, do you always get what you want? She says, yeah, most of the time. And Kane says, oh, good, me too. It's like these are peas in a pod and yeah. they're looking in a mirror. And, you know, I mean, obviously, Kane has gone a much darker road than Starbuck. But there is a sense where, OK, you're along the same continuum and you might be further down that path, but you're you're kind of not totally different and, from each other. And and that. And Kane sort of shows that in, in the fact that like, like she doesn't see Starbucks leaving as, as like ignoring orders, which they actually were. Mm -hmm. She sees it as like mm -hmm. taking initiative. And there, and there's a certain level of like, all right, I don't, so like, like there's a certain level of like, this is women in the military helping younger women in the military kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like, like, sure. you know, we've already heard how like Kane was an up and comer and all of this kind of stuff. And like, I think, I think we're meant to think of the, the colonial military as like more uh, progressive maybe than like the U S military is. Um, sure. Although, sure. although now they're considering the draft for women too, in the U S military. So, oh boy, so there, good there's for that, us. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, Oh, how far we've come. But you do, like, you know, like we've talked about, like, you know, the fact, like, they use Sir as sort of a non-gendered, you know, right. address, you know, for officers. And, like, you know, you do see other women officers and that kind of thing. But you do, I don't know, it it always feels that way to me anyway. Maybe, maybe it's mm. not to you, but there is that sense of, like, like, this is Kane the woman who like has outshone all these men helping Starbuck mm -hmm. and sort of seeing something of herself in Starbuck yeah. and giving her yeah. that like promotion. Not that she doesn't deserve it. Like, I think she certainly mm -hmm. thinks that Starbuck does deserve it, but like, but like sort of, this is her way of sort of throwing her a bone, so to speak. And, you know, helping, sure. helping out, you know, someone who she sees could follow sort of in her own footsteps. Um, yeah, no, I think there definitely is a strong sense of that. Like, this is me recognizing, you know, I was just like you when I was yeah. your age, you know, and, and that kind of mentorship being. A yeah, mentorship. That's probably what I'm trying to get at. And so mm -hmm. um, there's a promotion there, but then also sort of with the, you know, with with promotion comes great responsibility. Right. So like. Now she also is like, oh, by the way, all those pictures you took, you have to figure out how to destroy that ship. <laughs> like, and, you know, you're, you're the CAG now, which means it all falls on you to plan the attack mm -hmm. and whatever. Um, but Starbuck also like immediately uses that to her advantage of, oh, well, then I want Lee on my team. Like, like, mm. I know that you just, you know, grounded him, but he's, he's a necessary part of you know, what I right. need to do. And then there's also the carrot of, oh, I know that you want to go back to Caprica. Not only will we go back to Caprica, but we're going to like attack all the Cylons there and take the planet back right. and all this stuff. 
Um, right. Which, you know, Starbucks says is the best plan she's heard all day. And, like, I think we're meant to believe her in that moment. Like, I don't think this is mm-hmm. sarcastic Starbucks. Um, right. No. But I also don't know that we have to agree with her because I feel like I feel like in the mini series that would have sounded great we're gonna fight back and we're gonna kick those Cylon butts and get them out of our homeland like that could be the trajectory of the show is the fight to take back their home worlds but that's not what the show is the show is let's find earth and so suddenly that sounds like kind of like I don't know, regressive or something like Mm -hmm. to me anyway, like there's a sense where um, I think while we're, we're sympathetic to Starbuck wanting to go back to rescue the people, there's also a sense of, wait a minute, no, don't get distracted by this other goal when the real goal is earth, you know? Right. Um, Right. Well, and so it's like you have complicated, like suddenly that feels kind of not really, uh, right in the way that it should anymore um sure. like it feels like no what we need to do is move on and keep going forward and you know keep searching and everything right um so yeah so you get starbuck planning this mission um the first mission to to attack and destroy this newly identified resurrection ship um and they and it's possible now right because they have two battle stars so like mm-hmm. oh by the way dama we're gonna send all of your forces into the battle <laughs> like like this is the uh you, you know this is like um um david sending Bathsheba's husband or whatever like into <laughs> right. you know into the front right. lines like um yeah. Oh, so yeah. sad. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oops. You died. Yeah. Um and so uh, yeah, like he hears the plan and sort of clearly is not happy with it. Um mm-hmm. you know, has the ruse of like, well, I want to go over the details with your keg who happens to be one of my most loyal people. Um, you know, kind of thing. And like you have to wonder like how much does Kane suspect at that point? Um, and so you start hearing Adama talk about something he wants Starbuck to do. At the same time, you hear Kane going back and talking to Fisk about something she wants him to do. And of course, it turns out that like Adama has, uh, you know, through all his brooding and collection of data, uh, come to the conclusion that Rosalind had come to earlier that Kane must die. And, Cain mm-hmm. coming to the same conclusion about Adama that he must die. And so um, sort of explaining their plans to their most trusted people and giving them the orders that once we've taken care of the Cylons, mm-hmm. we're going to take care of the other commander as well. Right. The other threat. Yeah. yeah. And uh, which is interesting because that's kind of what Rosalind says is going to happen. It's like, we're going to deal with the Cylons first and then we'll figure out what happens. Yeah. Um, Yeah. She says, we'll come back here onto colonial one and figure that out. Um, They're just going to skip that step of returning to colonial one and, and deal with it on their own. 
Um, yeah. And that's sort of, you know, the the horrified looks of Fisk and Starbuck is where we sort of end the episode mm. um, and and get the whole continued uh, thing. So, you know, more more mutiny on the way mm-hmm. um, or assassination, not necessarily mutiny if like, because from Kane's perspective, she's the, like, this is just, right. the this, this is just, right. mil, you know, military law. This is just plain murder. Yeah. Well, it's, it's militia law, right? Like, I feel like, sure. like, this is sure. another example of her just saying, like. Right. I have authority to. It's, like, no yeah. different than executing her XO, who, like. Right. You know, refused to order or whatever. Um, right. But, yeah. So, yeah. So, there we have it. Like, it, it, it's always tough to sort of go beyond the point of like to be continued because it's to be continued and i don't know what yeah. else we can say at this point but anyway um no i think uh that about wraps it up and we'll come back for part two um had a bunch of cliffhangers lately mm-hmm. um well i guess with both with all the series we're at the kind of midpoint so right. there's a lot of that around yeah. um speaking of that we're picking up with angel Two weeks after we left, right? Because we had two episodes of Buffy sure. last, didn't we? So um, so we finished uh, with uh, Darla's uh, death, her, her suicide in the, her sacrificial suicide, I should mm. say, in the alleyway um, and the baby being born. Um, so, yeah, kind of wanted to start with... The situation because it, it pretty much picks up where it left off of um you know they're all uh you know Holtz lets them go and so they kind of hunker back at the hotel um and you know kind of the situation for the whole episode is that it turns into this siege basically that um they're you know in there surrounded we're not surrounded yet but trying to figure out what their next move is and then eventually end up surrounded with all of the various, you know, parties sort of hovering outside until they can come in. Um, you know, and Lauren sets up his, you know, protective shields to give them a little bit of, uh, you know, protection, Mm. but, um, you know, them being Lauren's shields, they don't exactly last like super long. Sure. (laughs) They last for like, you know, Less for like a day, and then the the demon monks turn up and uh you know are able to sort of do their mojo and work through them and everything mm-hmm. um but yeah, so I guess starting with like the siege and the prophecy stuff, like I'm not sure that we learn a whole lot that's new, really, I mean, I guess just reemphasizing this idea of how many different groups have an interest in this, and that it's not just. Holtz. Yeah. In fact, Holtz doesn't even turn up in the main plot for the whole episode. Um, no, we get like other... a little side thing with him, but yeah. Well, and it's like, okay, Wolfram and Hart have an interest, but they're really just sort of watching. They're not really the main players here. Yeah. It's like all these other... There, So if those are the two main sort of baddies, the real threat here is all these other fringe splinter groups who... Um, know about the prophecy or have mm. are they either want to 
sell the baby or eat the baby or worship the baby or who knows what they all want to do something with the baby depending on their point of view um yeah. and they're all they're all kind of brawling with each other outside and then they're all gonna kind of fight their way in and try to get the baby on the inside yeah. so yeah and i i maybe there's a few little production things that can sort of I don't know if it will shed much light on on sort of the actual plot or whatever, but I do feel like this episode is kind of one of those. It's just kind of like moving pieces around. Like there, there's a plot to it, but it's not much of one. Um, right. And it's it's kind of it's kind of just setting things up. So first of all, you mm -hmm. have this. You know, you mentioned like we had two Buffy episodes. That's because the last Angel episode was a month ago in in sort of the original right. time. So this episode aired on December twelfth, or sorry, December tenth, two thousand and one. Um, the last episode we saw Lullaby, where Darla stakes herself, is was on uh, November nineteenth, so almost a month ago. Um, mm -hmm. And then the next episode we get after this isn't until. January 14th. So we kind of have like this little island episode. Right, it's kind of, of marking time in between yes. the two. And, and so, yeah. so I, I mean, not to say that there's nothing interesting about it, but I don't know that like, like, yeah, like you're right. Like we don't get a lot about the prophecy. It's just like, oh, the baby like is important for the prophecy. Haha. -ha. <laughs> like, yeah. like there's not really much more to say about it. And Eureka! And <laughs> yeah. we already knew that, like, there were a bunch of different people interested in the baby. So, like, that's not really news either. And, right. like, you get sort of the, the you know, deception of, like, Angel, oh, we think he's going to go off on his own again, but he doesn't really. He, he does end up trusting his team and all of that. So, like, like, there's not even really a lot interesting to talk about there. So I guess I guess sure. all that to say, just, like, like I do feel like this episode kind of sits uniquely in in sort of its own little space and doesn't like it maybe moves a few things around and, and preps a little bit for the next season, but doesn't yeah. do a whole lot. Also wanna mention the writer real quick. Um the writer is uh David Goodman and he uh -huh. he has not written anything for Buffy or Angel before. Um however he had hmm. At this point, he had been a script coordinator for Buffy for several seasons. He came in um, during the sec okay. during the second season, um, and and he sticks with Buffy through uh, the end of the sixth season. So even at this point, he's still working on Buffy, but he's kind of called in to write this episode and then one other episode uh, the following year. Um, okay, but like it he's not you know script writing isn't at this point isn't sort of his main uh right main thing that he does he does go on to write for both fringe and once upon a time um and maybe a right. couple other shows here and there but um at, at least at this point in uh you know 2001 2002 you, you know he's not really a script writer so um right yeah i just wanted to sort of mention that um it is it is sort of a new person sort of bring, being brought in it's it's mm -hmm. sort of a serviceable but not necessarily memorable episode per se um as far as sure. as far as the stuff that goes on 
Um, and also we get, I would point to this just going, you know, to my own, to my own academic work um, of <laughs> cabin scenarios and their, and mm -hmm. their ilk. I would point to this as a good episode to distinguish as a siege versus a cabin scenario. I don't really see this as mm. a cabin scenario because it's more, it's more they're just sort of locking themselves in and waiting for like the demons and the baddies to come at them, you know, versus mm -hmm. where, where I feel like with the cat, with the cabin scenario, it's more like there's something about the wilderness of it or the, the wildness of like yeah. the surroundings and whatever. Um, I don't know. Like right, more of that sense of isolation. Yeah. I, so again, I, maybe it's a very fine line and maybe like, mm -hmm. I do think there is a siege element in, in many cases to like cabin scenarios, but, but I would say this is pretty much more straight up. And they even reference like assault on precinct 13, you know, in, right. uh, I think it's gun, right. Who, who says that he's, yeah. um, sort of channeling that and, and, Right, uh, right. I forget. I forget the one that Wesley mentions, but something with John Wayne. Um, yeah. So I'm sure some siege Wesley. Yeah. So so those are definitely kind of more more of like the the classic siege type movies than yeah. than I would think a cabin scenario would be. But anyway, just just thought I'd mention that I I would this would be like an episode I would use to distinguish between right. those two. Um, well, and from the point of view of the characters too like one of the things you talked about that is the way it sort of brings characters together whereas I feel sure. like this even functions a little differently because they are together it's just you don't realize it until the end like the the fake out of the end is that they have been together all along um it doesn't change anything it just reveals what's already there um which isn't bad. It's just that's different yeah. than those other kinds of episodes. Right. Um, like this isn't Cordy and Buffy in what was that home homecoming where they're right. like, where they find that new level of mutual defense and understanding in a, in the cabin in the woods and all that. Like right. this is like, you think Angel is going to just, Abandon, you know yeah. go lone wolf and and betray them again and but then you find out well no that was just a trick um sure. so let's kind of go into that angel as a dad stuff because yeah like i agree like it maybe there won't be too much to talk about but i think it's like it's not the most exciting character note ever but it's like an important one to kind of see how how is he going to react because there are like a number of different ways that this could go like it's plausible to think that he would just take the baby and cut and run you know sure. so the fact that um and you and you, know, you even get like i mean it, it tricks it tricked me the first time like i sure. kind of bought it so it's at least worth noting that that is a possibility so then to have it confirmed that no, he actually is working with the team and including them and everything mm. um, is, you know, an important, it's important, I think, for them to say, okay, now that Angel is this dad and he has this baby, what kind of person, what kind of dad is he going to be? And how much is he going to let the rest of the group in on that, you know? Yeah. 
let them be a family as well and not just sort of hunker down into like only having tunnel vision for himself and his 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 baby yeah and right and like when you don't know that they're all sort of playing a part like they're all the things that they say are like based on things that have happened like you get gun bringing up like why why don't you just fire us all again like like Right, which there, is the kind of bitter, sarcastic thing that Gunn has said before. Right. And so it feels plausible. And, right. Yeah. Well, and they're, it, it's like, you know, the best actors tap into their own experiences. Sure. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, yeah that's yeah. because we've been here before. <laughs> right? Like, right, right. He's in the moment there, <laughs> yeah. And like channeling all of his own memories and everything. Right. Um, well, and like, yeah, like the best lies and the best acts have a kernel of truth in right. them. That doesn't mean that those feelings are in there. Um, you know, he can remember what it felt like to be sort of disappointed by Angel and sort of tap into that. Um, um, and, you know, up until, so, you know, again, in retrospect, you realize that at whatever point Lorne realizes what the humming means and, you know, slips the note into his pocket and everything. And, um, but, so that's the kind of point that they all formulate this this plan. But up until that, it's not like Angel is, you know, super collaborative. Like you get all this stuff of, you know, him trying to parent, um, but like in isolation, you know, that he won't let anyone else mm. hold the baby or take a turn. Um, you know, he insists on, you know, trying to do everything himself and to try to like, you know, make a screaming baby, you know, react to, you know, stupid faces and, um, you know, I mean, so one of the things that kind of annoys me, I understand, I forgive TV things like you can't have newborns under hot TV lights. So the babies in TV shows always look way too old because they are, you know, they're like three months or whatever, rather than right. like a day, you know? Um, so that's no problem. I, and I, I guess I understand that Angel just could be ignorant of the whole thing. It kind of drives me crazy that you expect a two hour old baby to react to like faces. Right, right, right. And like, if I demonstrate how to suck a bottle, that means you'll understand. Like the, the baby literally just came out of the womb like less than a day ago right. um that kind of got on my nerves a little bit but maybe that goes along with the whole like tv convention thing so i shouldn't worry about it so much um and maybe it's just angel not knowing what he's doing sure you know and expecting this to be like a little person when it's like brain isn't developed enough to really comprehend what he's doing yeah um, although although you, oh, then then you get the kind of magical moment where he goes into the vamp right. face and it responds so there might be a sense in which this is a slightly preternatural hyper aware baby that is like you know or might responsive to demon things I, and everything i feel like the occam's razor answer is it might just be bad writing <laughs> Or that. <laughs> I was trying not to just go there, you know, but, um, you know, it it did, you know, bug me a little bit. Yeah. I, no, I, I hear you. I, yeah, 
I mean, I have pretty much already implied this, that, I mean, this isn't really my favorite episode. And I'll be honest, without giving anything away. All right. So, you know how we've talked about before how, like, Dawn is an annoying character? Uh -huh. Um Fans of Buffy and Angel tend to hate Connor even more than they hate Dawn. <laughs> and I'm not like obviously you're like, what the heck? He's just a baby. It's a baby. And I won't I won't yeah. tell you why or you know Babies the rational rationalization is. But like I so maybe maybe it's not fair to say Connor as like a person or a character or whatever, but like sure. the Connor arc. You know, more like gotcha. like the whole Connor stuff tends mm. to be people who dislike Angel and say like it's not as good as Buffy tend to point to that whole like Connor storyline stuff as mm. like one of the reasons why they dislike it. And I mm. find it hard to disagree with them, mm. even though I think there are things that happen during the arc that are very interesting to talk about. It's just not because of the Connor stuff. <laughs> it's more because sure. of other things that go on. And and again, I like I don't want to give anything away or whatever. But I just I want right. you to be prepared for the fact that like the next maybe half season isn't maybe the best half season mm -hmm. of Angel that we're coming up on. And this might sure. be sort of a portent of that <laughs> in some ways. Right. Well and I've heard people talk about that as a difficult thing like in writing T V shows of of introducing babies because it seems like a great idea and the pregnancy and, and the circumstances yeah. can be great. And then suddenly you have this baby and it's like, crap, now we have this baby that we have to take care of every week. Right. And it like can just get in the way. Like, like really like you want friends to sit around in the coffee house. You don't want to have to take care of the babies. Like it just is a distraction from, what is really interesting. Like I know other writers have talked about finding that extremely difficult. So I, it doesn't surprise me to hear that, you know, the angel writers, it probably like the idea of it and the lead up to it is the interesting part. And then you have the baby and now you have to actually work and, the baby into your weekly show and, in an interesting way. And now you have to figure out, of what to do with this prophecy that we've been talking about all this right. time. And now there's a baby involved somehow in this. And it's like, Oh, okay. Right. And like, like I, I almost get the sense that like that comment about that Linwood makes about like, Oh, we could use some, you know, some of these, uh, uh, prophecy writers in our contracts of it. Like I always get a sense that that's like sort of a jab too, because like, like mm -hmm. the prophecy just seems to be like, how, however thing, however yeah. we want it to work out like it'll work mm -hmm. out like we just keep sort of shifting it and making it fit mm -hmm. into whatever story we want it you know to fit in right you either you either retranslate a word that you didn't understand before or you find a new section a new yeah. sub clause of the thing it's, that you missed the first it, time it's, or, you know yeah. Chekhov's prophecy um right you know, right yeah, yeah it's this, it can be whatever you need it to be I mean, on the one hand, that kind of seems appropriate for a prophecy to me. Sure. Like, 
whatever happens, it always is applicable. Right, it always fills, like, it fulfills. Like, it's, like, always going to be, like, well, of course, that's what the prophecy said, even if it goes in crazy, seemingly contradictory directions. But, yeah, I can see how that would get kind of, after four or five seasons or whatever, you probably end up with this very convoluted prophecy that, you right. know, doesn't maybe have the power that it had in the beginning when you... sure you know, when you started it. Right. Um, so, uh, all right. So we kind of talked about Angel as a dad. Um, I mean, and so Cordy and Lauren and some of the others try to get him to, you know, share the responsibility a little bit, which of course he doesn't want to do. And, um, you know, and it's kind of a nice metaphor for Cordy's thing of, well, you can't be everything to him because you literally can't go outside, you know, when he would need to go outside, which is kind of, you know, pointer to just the truth of like, no one person can be everything to everybody. You know, um, there are just certain things that we're all unequipped for. Mm -hmm. Um, and it takes, takes a village, that kind of idea. Um, but obviously we get the twist that they had this plan. So Angel isn't quite as, you know, uh, I don't know, isolated as he's sort of pretending to be either. Um, yeah. Well, and I guess there's sort of a, there's a shift, right? Because we do, I don't, I, you know, I think, I think one of the positive things about this episode is that once you do get the reveal, like you do have sort of another layer to look at it from of like, oh, okay. Uh -huh. Like, like now we know at what point Lauren tips him off about the cameras and stuff in the hotel. Right. And, and so you can sort of see like the stuff before that, I feel like is angel actually resisting um, help from others. But then once he sort of gets that info, it's like, Oh, that must be the point where they're making a plan mm -hmm. and sort of building on what's already happened. So like, we don't see the actual shift, but you can sort of, you know, it's like how they detect like, you know, black holes. Like you can't actually see the black hole, but you can see the stuff around it and how like, mm -hmm. you know, the light and gravity and, and other things are like being affected by the black hole. And so you sort of know where it right. is. Um, like we can sort of see where Angel and, you know, the rest of the team start sort of you know, starts reacting differently and, you know, acting as though they're going out and, and you can sort of watch it on a different level at that, you know, mm -hmm. with that in mind, um, which, which is interesting because then you get, you get like Linwood and them at the end watching, you know, seeing on the, you know, diegetic screens of the, you know, their own surveillance and so, like, they're doing, like, the same thing that the audience is doing at that point of, like, reass right. reassessing the situation based on this new knowledge kind of thing. And, right. Um, right. So there's a nice little sort of parallel between them and the audience at that point and, and trying to figure out, like, what the implications are of that. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, all right. So let's switch over to Wolfram and Hart since you brought them up. Sure. 
Um, because yeah, they are kind of just uh, on the surveillance, and um, they don't really do a whole lot this episode, do they? No, they don't. Um, <laughs> no, no. Again, very Wolfram and Hart, very like just bureaucratic and sitting around. Yeah, kind of watching the footage um, and not really doing much of anything. Yeah, um, Gavin does say that he dispatches like he, like some of the people going after the baby are like a team from Wolfram and Hart. Okay. Um, okay. But right. like, they're just like one of several groups, right? Like this is just right. like, they're just like one in the mix. We, we don't, they're the humans right. who aren't vampires. So like, they right. just are people who end up getting caught in the trap. Right. So Lila goes down to do some research in the archives and finds that Angel has like a whole like wing to himself. Right. Um, the amount of information. And then it's kind of dumb anyway, because the archive lady kind of has everything in her brain. So you don't even really need the, uh, you know, um, the, the paper, you know, paper trail and everything. Right. Um, which just feels like every librarian's dream, doesn't it? That like, your eyes would just sort of roll back and you would have you like access, the reference yeah. and the exact quote in your brain. Like that's kind of appropriate. Um, it's her job. So yeah, so they get that from so they get the information about Holtz and you know learn some about that. Um, I mean, we kind of talked about Angel's ruse. So the only thing really left with Wolfram and Hart is the surprise of Angel bursting in at the end, um, which is a pretty good surprise. Like I'll give them that. Like that kind of sure you know uh, gave me a little jump start at the end. Um, you know, and a clever kind of bit of insurance for for angel to sort of make the the guy his godfather basically is saying like anything that happens to him happens to you doesn't matter if you were behind it or not so now mm. not only will you leave him alone but you might even be motivated to help protect him um right so that i won't come and you know get revenge on you so um you know i guess it'll remain to be seen what if that'll work or what kind of, you know, ripple effect that'll have. But, you know, that's one way of trying to keep the baby safe from all of these different, you know, demon groups and everything. Yeah. Um, I mean, we might end early, to be honest. But, I mean, the main last thing I wanted to talk about is um, Holtz and Justine. Because Holtz kind of just goes off on his own. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um. You know, his, his demon buddy tries to give him some more minions and he kills them because why not? and he doesn't need them anyway. they're demons and he's he done. Sort of he, he well poisons their, he, their milk or whatever. It's thing. not that he doesn't need, like it's, this is the, you know, he, like Holtz is a purist, right? So it's not enough just right. to have like demons who kill people, you know, they're, they're mercenaries, but he needs like a true believer, like someone who... Uh, yeah. you know, who is actually invested in the process and in the activity right. of killing Angel. Right. So the most interesting, so he goes and recruits this lady, Justine, who is sort of, you know, depressed, day drinking, you know, mourning the death of her, uh, of her sister, who it kind of is implied was killed by vampires. Right. And, the interesting part to me is that at night, 
she's kind of a vampire slayer. Mm. Like she kind of is a little Buffy. She goes and hangs out in cemeteries with a stake and like takes out some vamps. So interesting that like, this isn't a slayer. This isn't someone with like supernatural powers or a divine sort of, you know, uh, destiny or anything. It's like, this is some pissed off person who just decided to go and like, you know, take out the demons that killed her sister. So it's an interesting kind of parallel to the slayers that we've seen. Um, And interesting that Holtz goes and like kind of picks her to kind of recruits her and is going to train her to, you know, I guess be his, Mm. you know, his slayer, you know, his own personal slayer assassin to go take out Angel. Um, Yeah. But the, the, the duality of good guy and villain there is interesting to me. Like, you know, you know, woman slaying vampires in a cemetery is something we're used to seeing as like the hero, but here's like Holtz, you know, kind of pulling her over to the dark side a little bit to go after Angel. So, yeah. Well, yeah. And so, right. Cause Holtz, now obviously knows that angel has a soul and stuff but like mm-hmm. and that he has a kid but like instead of instead of those things being like tempering uh conditions or situations uh where it would sort of maybe lead him to a little more mercy it, it like it it renews his resolve to kill Angel Mm -hmm. because having a soul, like now his soul can be tormented for eternity. Like if he kills him and, you know, having a kid like gives him an opportunity to like strike back in a way. And we don't necessarily know what way exactly, but like, you know, to strike back in a way that he didn't have before. Um, Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, like, like, we're sort of getting beyond where like before we could say like, okay, well at least Holtz still thinks of Angel as a vampire and like is dangerous. And so like, there's a certain level, you know, at which you can just say like, he's, he's doing what he always did and is, is fighting vampires. Like, like now he's sort of pulled away from that a bit and, and is just like, well, you know what? All of these, all of these things that maybe should cause him to pause and like, think about angel as being on, you know, the side of the powers that be and like the good, the good guys um, is actually like not doing that. And so, yeah, Holtz is kind of going the other way with that one. Um, Yeah. And, and like you said, like now he's got Justine and is sort of training her, you know, to, to fight angels specifically, not, not like vampires as an evil thing, but, but this one particular vampire. Um, Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't know that I have a ton more to say um, about any of them really. So was there anything else you wanted to cover? I don't think so. I mean, I think that kind of 
I mean, is pretty much what I have. Yeah. I, I guess the only thing I would say is like sort of you do get the resolution, so you get, you know, ultimately you get the name Connor, and you know they bring yeah. the baby to the hospital and get him his you know potassium or whatever shots or vitamin K or whatever it was, and uh, you do get sort of a sense like of some resolution, like like at mm-hmm. least at this point, like now, like we're done with the whole like demon cults trying to steal the baby kind of thing so mm-hmm. like there is that at least at the end like like they've they've killed all the main demon cults that were after him they threatened wolfram and Hart, and so now now not only are they supposedly not coming after him but may also provide a measure of protection you know against mm-hmm. others who might try to hurt connor and and so yeah now we have a month, not really a month. I mean, we'll be back in a couple of weeks ourselves, but like in the original show, there's like a month between now and like the new year when new episodes yeah. start up for kind of the second half of the season. And we can right. start with some, you know, maybe new stories about the baby and, and how it changes the dynamic and all of that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but that's not for a couple of weeks yet. We've got an episode of Buffy next week. And yeah. we got the uh, part two of our resurrection ship for uh, BSG. So, yeah, those those are coming up. Sounds good. See you then. <laughs>